Well, good morning. Man, I am, uh, I am Holy Spirit wrecked this morning. It's been a good morning from the, from the time of our prayer uh, before you guys even arrived uh, through worship and, and to now. Um, and before I get started, I just wanted to uh, just acknowledge um, where we're at as a church um, and what the Lord is doing in this church, because um, he's going he's gonna to ask us to take the next step today. He's asking us to move to greater things today, Amen. right? I almost just said, uh, let Kim preach the whole message, because uh, she would have done a better job than me. But he's asking us to step into greater things, and I might get emotional uh, today. I might get excited today. Um, I don't know how this is going to come out or come across um, but this is a message that the Lord uh, began putting on my heart um, probably 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Here I go. Um, and he hasn't let me preach it until today. Mm. He, he, he's been forming it in my heart and stirring my heart and changing my heart and removing the scales from my eyes and, and, and the hardness from my heart in order to preach this message because this message is about the heart of God for His church. This, this message is about uh, the type of people God chooses to pour out His Spirit on and what He expects of them in return. We're going to be in Isaiah 58 this morning. Um, we'll be there for most of the morning. We'll start in Acts 2, of course. And um, uh, So I want you to follow along with Scripture. Thanks, I'm the weeping prophet here. Uh, Jeremiah here. Um, we'll start in Acts 2. We're going to be in Isaiah 58. Um, and we'll see what the Lord does. Um, one thing I want to say before we get going, too, is that on Pentecost, there were just some unexpected people in a room and the Holy Spirit whopped them. And so we pray that the Lord does that today, that we know that by the power of His living and active and sharp word, uh, that He can cut us to the quick, and that He can change a group of people in the blink of an eye. Amen? Amen. Uh, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So church, Pentecost for the, for the Christian church is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Christ died, uh, Christ was given up to death uh, on Passover. He would raise three days later, and then he would spend the next 40 days appearing to his disciples and to hundreds and thousands of other people in the world to affirm the resurrection. He wanted witnesses to his resurrection. Um, and then he would ascend glorified to the Father on the day of ascension, 40 days after the resurrection. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit would fall. And that is Pentecost. You see, it's, it's different from the, the Jewish uh, feast, the Jewish, the Jewish festival of Shavuot, 
right? So all the disciples, all the, all the men of Israel were gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuot, which, is, which, which in, uh, in the Greek New Testament they refer to as Pentecost. But really it's the, it's the Feast of Weeks or it's the, it's the Harvest Feast. And, and what that was for the Jewish community at the time, Shavuot was 50 days after Passover. It was a celebration of the, the early harvest of their grain. Uh, they would have a, the, a major harvest in the fall, but their first harvest would be in the spring. Uh, and, they, and all the men in uh, Israel would go to Jerusalem and they would be there. That's why the disciples were gathered in the upper room. Now, here's a, here's a key difference that I want you guys to understanding that will kind of lay a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Um, for, the, for the Israelites, uh, does anybody know what happened 50 days after Passover? Passover came, the Israelites were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were set free uh, because of the Passover. And then 50 days later, they found themselves at Mount Sinai. And Moses came down with Torah, with the law. So for the Israelites, they had Passover, and, and forever on they would celebrate Shavuot as the day they received the law. Now, you can already start drawing some, some uh, differences between what they were celebrating on Passover and what the Christians were celebrating on Passover. So... Uh, for, for the Christians, Passover, 50 days after the resurrection, it wasn't, it wasn't the sacrificial lamb's death that changed everything. Yes, it had a key role, but it was the resurrection. It was, it was Jesus conquering death in the grave that changed everything forever. And so that's the new mark. That's the new standard. And so then 50 days after that, the Holy Spirit falls. Amen. The unbelieving Jews, though, would uh, say, you know what, the, laws, the law was good enough for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to what I can do. I'm going to stick to uh, performing for God and serving God and, and trying to, to earn God's favor. When Moses came, this isn't in my notes, the, the Holy Spirit's already working. Um, when Moses came down from the mountain with the law, uh, what did he find? He found Aaron and the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. And the Lord said, um, where, are, where are my people? And the Levites gathered around. And you know what he told the Levites? He said, because of this abomination against the Lord, I want you to kill everybody. Your brother, your family, your friends. And 3,000 people died that day because of their disobedience to the Lord. And in contrast, on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, uh, Peter got up and preached a message about the crucified and risen Savior who's ascended, glorified to the Father, and that anybody who trusted and believed in Him could be saved. And how many people were added to their number that day? 3,000 people. Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to complete the law. It's, it's a beautiful picture if we understand the history of the nation of Israel and how uh, God used that in the story of Jesus and in the story uh, of redemption. So, so at that first Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized. And this, 
This really marks the beginning of the church age. The, the age in which, uh, in, in God's redemptive plan, he would, he would allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside his people, right? The, the curtain in the temple was torn, and now we are temples of the Spirit of the living God. It kind of hit me when I was preparing for the message this, this week. Like, these were the first people that had to adjust. Like, the, these people, they, they were disciples of Jesus. They followed Jesus. They believed in Jesus. But now they were temples of the living God. He was taking up residence in them. At one moment, God was not inside of them. And the next moment, God was inside them. And it changed everything. They were filled with his spirit. They were spirit-filled. See, Pentecost is a day when a new community was formed. And I don't just mean a, um, just a new group of people. What I mean is a new type of community. This was a fellowship of believers that were to live lives that were uh, as strange and peculiar as the utterances that were coming out of their mouths as tongues of fire descended upon them and rested upon them. They had been ushered into a new reality, um, and that new reality is what Dallas Willard calls an upside-down kingdom, right? Th this, is, this is a kingdom where uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? This is a kingdom where we're supposed to turn our other cheek to our enemy and we're supposed to walk another mile with him if he forces us to go one. This isn't, this isn't a kingdom that the Jews were looking for. This isn't a kingdom that the world says makes sense. This is a completely upside-down kingdom. Something major changed that day. These people were spirit-filled. It became much more than belief. It was union. It was so much more than law. It was love. This brand new reality would radically change the way they lived their lives, how they spent their money, how they handled their possessions, how they treated others, uh, how they loved others, who they loved. It changed everything. Everything. See, they were a young church. This is the birth of the church. They're a, they're a little baby church, right? A tiny baby church. Um, but with the gift of Holy Spirit inside of them, empowering them to live radically different lives, their age didn't matter. The age, listen to this, church. The age of the church had no bearing on the level of expectation that God had for that church. Why? Because they weren't doing anything. Holy Spirit was doing everything. Amen. And much like the church at that time, Fireworks Church is a relatively newborn church. The age of the church has no bearing on the expectation that God has for this new community. Today marks one year from when Fireworks Church uh, began meeting in this building. And we're, we're a young church, we're a growing church, and I, I really don't even mean that uh, numerically, right? Even though the Lord has blessed us with new families and with what seems like a never-ending stream of newborn babies that we're so, uh, that we're so grateful for, um, it, it really is a beautiful thing. But what I mean is that we're growing in our... There you are, I was looking for Gabby when I said that. 
Um, what I mean by that is that we're growing in our identity, we're growing in our knowledge of the kind of church that God is calling us to be. We're, we're growing in our understanding of our specific kingdom assignment in the community of Bernie and the greater community of San Antonio. Right? I mean, are we? How, how do we know? I mean, I've heard most of us, me included, in, uh, refer to Fireworks Church as a spirit-filled church. And I know that has a lot of meanings, different meanings, and a lot of different connotations, and we all use that for different things. But this is the foundation of the message. As we will see today in God's Word, God has major expectations for those He chooses to fill with His Spirit. And if we're going to go by that name, we ought to have our ducks in a row. We ought to know what He's calling us to do. So, th today is not a warning to shrink away from, it's a challenge to rise up to. Amen? And as you hear the word of the Lord this morning, please know that God is not shaking his finger at us in disappointment. He is speaking to us as a father to his young baby, about to take his or her first steps, gently whispering, walk, walk child walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power because you're going to need it according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy it's going to take endurance and patience so we might as well be joyful about it giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what does the Lord expect of those He has filled with His Spirit? What does the Lord require of those He has marked as His own? What does He require of a peculiar people who is called to be his very own treasured possession. Um, here's another way to put it. When God pours out his spirit on his people, how does he expect them to respond to the gift that he's been giving? A couple ways I think about this, right? I mean, for, th for those of you who are parents, think of those young, precious years at Christmas time, such a joyful and happy time. Um, there really is nothing sweeter than uh, watching your little ones uh, wide-eyed and full of expectation. They come downstairs, they see the Christmas tree, they begin ripping open the paper, right? It's just a beautiful sight. And you as a parent get to see the elation on their face as they open this gift and, and they welcome in this new treasure, right? But those of us who have been parents for long enough, and I know I look like I'm 36, but I'm actually 42, so I, I fall into that camp. Um, for those of us who have been parents long enough, there will come a day where you've gone out and you found that grand gift of the year, right? You remember the, the gift everybody wants, the Tickle Me Elmo or the Furby or 
whatever the gift was, like that all the parents were looking for, but that you found. And you wrapped that thing up, and you positioned all the presents under the tree, and you kind of had this as the piece de resistance, right? And your child grabs that package, they open it, they give you an obligatory thank you, set it aside, and move on to the next thing. And it crushes your entire soul. And you blew the whole Christmas budget on that one gift, and they're, they're ready to play with the box, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Or let me, let me use Austin as another example. So um, I wish Megan was in here. Um, do, do you remember when you knew that Megan was the one? You remember that season where you stopped blowing all your money on golf and eating all-you-can-eat chicken wings so you could <laughs> save up for a diamond ring? You, you remember that season? And, and do you remember how vulnerable you were when you got down on your knee and you laid your heart bare before her, and you just prayed that she would say yes to being with a knucklehead like you for the rest of her life. You remember that? And she, and she said yes. And it was the greatest moment of your whole entire life, right? And so with four hands shaking, your hands, her hands, right? You slipped that ring on her finger. Now what if Megan went home, put the ring in a box, put the box in a drawer, closed the drawer, and didn't tell any of her friends about it, didn't post thousands of pictures on social media, what would you do? You'd be devastated. You'd be devastated. At Pentecost, we were given a gift, amen? We didn't earn any of it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. All we had done up to this point of receiving the Holy Spirit was believe. And listen, church, And being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, being empowered to live radically different lives, we were given a ring. A ring was slipped on our finger. And listen, as we live lives individually, but more importantly, as we live lives collectively, as we live lives communally, we are to be like a bride adorning herself for the bridegroom. We are making ourselves ready for our love. I loved what Raleen was saying about forgetting our first love. How could we ever put that ring in a box and close the drawer on God's love inside of us? So what have you done with the ring? How have you uh, stewarded the gift of Holy Spirit? How have you treasured the gift of Holy Spirit? How have you heralded the gift of Holy Spirit How are we as a young church supposed to steward the gift of Holy Spirit? Again, we didn't earn the gift, so we're not seeking His approval. But like a fiancé enamored with her soon-to-be husband, how do we give ourselves fully to the one who gave Himself fully to us? How can we please God and find favor with God in this life in response to the gift we have been given? This morning we're looking at three things. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit compels us to reject empty religion. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit compels us to raise the standard for what we call righteousness in our own lives and in the community. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit compels us to redefine what community looks like. So as a community, 
of believers filled with his spirit as a spirit-filled church. We must first reject empty religion. Relationship is now the driver. Love is the motivator. His glory and not our own is the goal. Religion has no place in the life of a spirit-filled believer and definitely no place in the life of a spirit-filled church. Isaiah 58 Y'all turn there with me. I think it'd be crucial for y'all to, to read along. I don't, I don't have the verses on the screen this morning, and I want you guys to see God's word as we go through it. Um, but this is Isaiah 58. And, 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 and before we get started, the beauty of Scripture is that um, God's painting us a picture of his heart for the church, and he's going to do it in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. And let me give you a little bit of background, right? So um, uh, uh, the nation of Israel and Judah specifically was far off from God. They, they had alienated themselves from God. They were offering meaningless sacrifices in the temple. They were committing injustices throughout the nation. And that's really what uh, caused God to call Isaiah in chapter 6, right? The here am I, send me, Lord, passage. The holy, holy, holy passage, right? The Israelites were not living up to the covenant they had made with a thrice holy God. And so God called Isaiah and he says, you are going to prophesy uh, judgment through captivity for the nation of Israel. That's really the the, the first section, proto-Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Then the next thing you're going to prophesy is that salvation is possible through a suffering servant. That's the second section of Isaiah And the third thing you're going to prophesy is the kingdom that is coming. And I want to show my people through your prophecies how a people who are living in anticipation of a kingdom should live, act, think, speak, be, give, do, all the action verbs. Well, we are a people living in anticipation of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. So let's look at what God expects of a people when they enter into covenant community with him. Verse 58, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is this such a fast that I choose for a day to... For a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Let's pause there and, and break that down a little bit. So God is telling Isaiah, cry aloud, do not hold back. Let my people have it. They are not living like a people in covenant community with me. And it is sin, and they need to know it. He says, lift up your voice like a trumpet. And that's really a significant word. 
What, what happens at the last trumpet? What happens when the last trumpet sounds? Jesus comes back. Jesus finally instantiates his kingdom fully and finally. What God is saying here by, by, by shouted out like a trumpet, he's saying, look, I'm coming back and you're not living how I'm calling you to live. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Now listen closely, church, to verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. What, is, what does that sound like? What, is, what does seek me daily sound like? It sounds like morning devo. It sounds like Bible study reading plans. It sounds like your daily quiet time. Delight to know my ways. This means that they loved Torah. They loved hearing about the laws of God. They loved showing up to church every week and, and gaining a deeper understanding about what God's Word says about things. But they didn't apply it. They were far off. Their heart was far off from His heart. As if they did righteousness, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. Righteousness in the Old Testament has a much different meaning than we understand it in the New Testament, right? Righteousness in the, in the New Testament is that, that legal right standing before the only person who has the right to judge, and that is God, right? It is us standing before our Creator God, and if we, are, if we have given ourselves to Jesus Christ and called on Him for the forgiveness of sin, sins, we are declared right. We are declared righteous by the God who judges the living and the dead, right? But for the Old Testament Jew, righteousness had a much different meaning. Let me read this to you. The word is sadiq, and it means this. Cultivating right relationships with God and with one another so that the community flourishes. Wow. That's a very different definition than we're used to. People living in, in uh, covenant community together were righteous if they did everything on behalf of the, of the community, if they, if they brought equity, if they brought justice, if they brought shalom to the community, right? The, the definition of shalom is so much greater than peace. It's the webbing together of God, humanity, and creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. What? Like, it's like utopia. It's how God designed it to be. And a righteous person in the Old Testament was somebody who worked towards that for the community. They weren't focused on their own needs. They weren't focused on their own success. They cared about the covenant community. It's awesome. But this is how far off the, the nation of Judah was at the time. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, end of verse 3. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So listen. Based off that definition, the, Judah was asking righteous judgments of God. They were saying, God, we want you to behave in such a way to where we benefit. We want you to uphold your end of the bargain. We want you to be faithful to the covenant community. We want your blessing. We want to thrive. But their hearts were far off from the Lord. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why don't you see it? Why don't you bless us? 
We want the credit. And, listen, and, and this blows my mind, this next part. We've humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge. That's like saying, I'm probably the most humble person I know. <laughs> right? What's that old country song? Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Right? I think of, uh, I've got two, <laughs> I've got two, <laughs> yeehaw. Uh, I've got two girls, right, so we've watched Mary Poppins. You remember the, the old original Mary Poppins, right? She's, she's uh, measuring them to see how tall they are, and the boy's short, and I don't know, it says something about how he's spunky or whatever. But then when it gets to Mary Poppins, she, she takes the ruler and measures it and reads it, and it says, Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way, right? <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's really the sentiment that's going on here. That's really the attitude that the, that the Israelites ha- had here. That's really how far off... Uh, from the Lord's heart were their hearts. Um, just a you know general piece of wisdom. If you ever have to talk about your humility or talk about your integrity, you need to work on both of those things. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so, uh, uh, really, he's going to go on to talk about what a false fast looks like, what empty religious service looks like. Right? Fast is also sacrificial. Right? So we think. I mean, if I do this religious, sacrificial act, the Lord will be pleased with me. I will find favor with the Lord. And we're finding in this passage, we couldn't be further from the truth. It says, uh, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Have you ever fasted? And then, like, you just want donuts? <laughs> right? Like, you just want, like, like you, you've, you've decided, and maybe you're only in, like, hour two. In hour one, it was a great idea, right? And in hour two, you're, like, looking for a Duncan. It's crazy. Um, but you're not doing it uh, for the benefit of the community. You're not doing it for the benefit of the other. You're doing it for the benefit of yourself. And so when you start giving up your cravings and your desires, um, you don't like it. It says, and you oppress all your workers. What does that mean? You know that even Christians, um, their relationship with their employees can be exploitative rather than mutually beneficial. This is that greater things, right? We're getting a little ahead into raising the standard of what God is calling us to Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose for you just to be humble, bow your head down like a reed, spread sackcloth and ashes, right? Be visibly religious. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So think of your life laid down as a sacrifice on the altar of faith. Is this the kind of sacrifice that you've made? Is it a, is it a false humility? Is it a false piety trying to earn favor with the Lord? If, if you're asking big things of God, we've got to choose the fast that he chooses. And we're going to see that in the next section. In the next section, God is going to call us to raise our standards. He's going to call us to raise our standards for righteousness and justice. When the spirit of the living God lives inside us, it demands that we raise our standard on how we live and who we love. 
the next two sections, raising our standards and redefining community, you, need, you can go ahead and think of it this way up front. It's a cause and effect. If, if we live the fast that God is choosing us to live, then He will redefine our community. He will transform our community. Keep that in the back of your head as we keep going. Verse 8. Um, uh-huh. um, sorry, not verse 8. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? Okay, He's going to paint us a picture of the fast that He chooses. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? God says in verse 6, is not this the fast I choose? Look, if I've, asked, uh, if I've asked you to sacrifice anything on my behalf, it's this, that you would loose the bonds of wickedness. What does that mean? It means that we look for those who are in bondage and oppression and slavery. Slavery to this world, slavery to drugs, slavery to pornography, slavery to sex. Whatever they are bound to, whatever they are under the control of, we are to loose those bonds. That is the fast that we are to choose. He goes on to say, he just keeps ratcheting it up here. He goes on to say, no, undo the straps of the yoke. Anybody that's walking with an undue burden, anybody that's even carrying somewhat too heavy of a load, we walk alongside them and pick up their burden. And place it on ourselves. He goes on. He ratchets it up another notch. He says, let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Don't just loose the chains. Don't just loose the straps. Break the yoke. Any social structures or social classes that lead to oppression, slavery, racism, undue burdens, those can't exist within our community. And we can't just loose those bonds. We have to break the underlying structures that cause them. We have to address the root cause. And that takes the Holy Spirit living inside us. The gift that has been given at Pentecost. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Look, don't, when you fast, don't just not eat. Give your daily bread to someone who needs it. That's next level. That's greater things. That's what God is calling us to do. Not an empty religious, you know, foregoing of, of my taco that morning. <laughs> he wants me to give that taco out. And I could, I could use giving a few more tacos away. <laughs> and listen to this. This one stings. And to bring the homeless poor into your house. Like, this is meddling, God. Now you're meddling. This is an invasion of your comfort and security. This is you leveraging what you think is yours for the kingdom. This is getting uncomfortable. This is getting messy. This is getting truly sacrificial. 
with what God's placed in our hands to begin with that we haven't earned. It's all His anyways. And when you see the naked, to cover him. Sure, if you see somebody on the street walking around naked as a jaybird, put a blanket on that thing. But what he means, what, what he means here is that it's, it's the job of the spirit-filled believer and the spirit-filled church to find those who are living in shame and humiliation, whose sin has been exposed to the community, and be the covering of protection for the naked. That is our job. We, you and I, most of us in here, we've just done a better job of covering our shame and our guilt and our humiliation up. But there are those in this world that the world exposes. And we're to be their covering of protection. When somebody walks in this house, they're supposed to find that covering of protection. And to not hide yourself from your own flesh. What does that even mean? It means that everybody that we just talked about, the hungry, the homeless, poor, the naked, when they come across you, when they walk into our house, they are to be treated like blood relatives, not second-class citizens, like your brother and your sister. These are the folks that God came to save. He didn't come for the healthy. The physician came for those who are sick. This is the heart of God. This is who he's calling us to. It's vital. We'll go back to what Kim, Kim was stealing part of my message. Truly, truly, this is John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than, he, than these will he do because I am going to the Father. We love the second part. We love the greater works than he will you do. But where it starts is, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You can't do the greater works without the first works. And who did Jesus serve and dine with and heal and love when he walked this earth? It was the naked and the homeless poor and the leper and the naked the adulterer, the prostitute, the demon-possessed. That's who we're called to, fireworks, church. Then whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And he reiterates it in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that's our Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, church, because He dwells with you and will be in you. That is the miracle of Pentecost. That's why we're sitting in this church. That's why you're coming here every Sunday. Because you know that church like 20 years ago doesn't work anymore. And that God is calling a remnant of people to live this fast, to choose this fast, to glorify and honor Him by glorifying others instead of themselves. This is, this is a paradigm shift for a church.
And if we do that, as spirit-filled believers, as we fellowship together, as we grow together, as we serve together, as we suffer together, as we forgive one another together, um, the Holy Spirit will begin to redefine and transform our community. Now, this is the part to get excited about. Here we go. Verse 8. Listen. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. He will make your bones strong and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is a promise, church. That is a promise. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your new morning, that new season that you're looking for, you start living that fast, your new season is going to burst into being. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Right? Um, that, that infirmity... That thing that's holding you back from doing what he's called you to do, that affirmity is gone. It's done in Jesus' name. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Your value to the community will establish your reputation. It says in Proverbs that when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That doesn't make any sense. I thought everybody was against us. No, if we're out doing this, if we're out living this fast in our community, our community will see Fireworks Church and rejoice. And this place will be filled with people, but it won't be filled with people that look like us. And that's what we pray for. That's what we pray for. Sorry. Um, and the listen to this. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. When you walk around the city, living a life like this, you're going to leave a wake of God's glory. Wherever you walk, there's going to be a trail of God's glory, and it's going to serve to protect you. And that's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful promise. And here it says in verse 9, it's the, 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 the exposition of verse 9 is pre pretty easy. You will call, and I will answer. You will cry, and I will be there. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. The word there in Hebrew actually means to serve or to wait on the hungry. Like a waiter or a waitress. 
to think of them as, as, as better than yourselves to where you wait on them while you serve them your daily bread. You want to know how your light can shine as bright as possible in Bernie and in San Antonio? Serve the poor. Wait on them. If we all do this individually, then collectively we will be an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. We will be, as it says in verse 11, continually guided by the Lord. If he doesn't go, we can't go. We have to be continually guided by the Lord. Uh, he will satisfy your desires in scorched places. What that means? We're going to walk through fire. And we're not going to be burned. And we're not even going to be thirsty if we're on his kingdom assignment. He will give you strong bones. I've been told I have big bones, I ha but I've never been told I have strong bones. He will give us strong bones to hold up to the work to which he's called. This is this may be one of my favorite verses of Scripture. You'll be like a well-watered garden. What is a well-watered garden? It's green and it's lush and it's full of life and it's full of vibrancy. That's the kind of garden that we have to be as a church. It's a must. A spring whose waters never fail. When somebody experiences this community... If we're living like this, when somebody walks into our well-watered garden, our spring will not fail. Every time they walk in, they will be quenched by the love of Jesus found in this place and poured out by his servants. And the ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. What does this mean? It means that churches in Bernie that have crumbled... God's going to rebuild. Amen. Amen? Amen? Amen. But he's going to take a people that are after his own heart, that are serving those he has called us to serve, and he will rebuild those ancient ruins, and, and, and they will be uh, an altar of remembrance to the faithfulness of God rather than the, the sin or the pride of man. Amen? You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. We will stand on the righteous fruits of those saints of old who have gone before us. You will be called repairer of the breach. Church, the enemy has broken through our defenses. And we are the ones called to stand in the gap and shore up the line. It's nobody else. It is us. We have to be the repairer of the breach. We've all seen... World War II movies and storming the beach of Normandy on D-Day. You don't want to be the one who has to repair the breach. That is a dangerous and hard and low percentage uh, survival job. We are called to be the repairer of the breach. But we're promised it if we live this fast. It's a beautiful thing. The restorer of streets to dwell in. It means that Bernie will be a livable community. It means as the world continues to descend into licentiousness and all kinds of um, just disgusting behavior that is totally against what, the, what God has for this world, uh, if we're living like this, Bernie will be a livable community. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, 
uh, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Here, here's why God gave me this message. And hasn't let me speak it till now. We're, we're in a season where churches have to raise the standard and communities of believers have to be redefined and transformed because the day is approaching. The times are getting harder. We are nearing the end. And if we are to be more than conquerors, as it says in Romans 8, we have to ride on the heights of the earth together, empowered by His Holy Spirit. I'm so tired of um, people shying away from Acts 2.42. We're going to read it together. And as we read Acts 2.42 together, um, it's simply just what God's calling us to. It's simply what He's going to empower if we submit to His authority and His rule and love who He's called us to love. Acts 2.42 and the verses following is not some far-off, unattainable standard that was only for the believers who actually got to experience Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection. It is for you and I, and it is what we must enter into. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this is my prayer for Fireworks Church. And awe came upon every soul. I think if we can just all be in awe of who he is and how he's first loved us and how he's taken up residence inside of us and empowered us to, to feed the hungry and bring the homeless poor into our house and to cover the naked, if we will just experience that and let the awe of him come over us, then many wonders and signs will be done through his apostles. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. So the Lord was very clear with me on this. He said, um, I'm going to let you preach this, preach this message to Fireworks Church, um, but you only get to preach it once. Now, says the Lord. Now, says the Lord. Now is the time that we pick up this fast. Now is the time that we release from our own striving and our own struggle and our own power and completely surrender to Holy Spirit and lean on Him. Now is the time for Fireworks Church to be redefined, to grow up and to begin walking as the, as the church that God has designed her to be and reaching the people that God has called her to reach. We only get one shot at this message. Because we've heard messages like this before. And they've fallen on hard hearts and deaf ears and blind eyes. And 
we, we, Sunday, the only problem with Sunday is the next day is Monday, and we get busy, and we forget, and we go about our own struggles and our, our, our own agendas, and God is saying, now, now is the time. Now is the time for a remnant to rise up. And if you've been at this church long enough, you know that we, we chase after one thing. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God among us. We will not be led by the pride of a singular man or woman. We will be only led by the Holy Spirit. So the, the question that God has for us as we close is, shall we, shall we ride on the heights of the earth together? God's heart for this church. It's God's heart for every single person in here. He wants to transform a community. He wants to transform a town and it will begin spreading like wildfire. But it takes each and every one of us. He's weaving us together like a fabric and it takes all of us going in and over and through and around and tying us together in unity. And he's blessed us with unity and he's blessed us with love. And all we have to do is surrender. We can't do it without him. Let's pray. Lord, we've tasted what this world has to offer, and it just doesn't satisfy. Lord, we, we have toyed with religion for so many decades, and it just doesn't satisfy. We focused on our own agendas and our own kingdoms and our own advancement and our own pride, and it just doesn't work. And you laid out your blueprint for us thousands of years ago. And more importantly, you gave us your Holy Spirit who has taken up residence inside each heart that's sitting in this room today. We have become temples of the living God. Lord, would you be so near to us in this next season? Lord, would you give us eyes that see the hungry, that see the poor, that see the naked? Lord, would you make us sensitive to those who are looking for hope? We are the ones, we are the only ones that have the hope that they need. Lord, let us shake the dust from our sandals from those who think they need no hope and insist on going about an empty religious service. Let us show the world and Bernie that there is a different way, and it is your way. It is the low way. It is the narrow way. Mm, but if you're there... It's the way we want to go. We love you. We thank you for transformation of a body that we might be not only hearers, but doers of your word. We surrender to you as a body. One year in, we thank you for what you've done. We ask that you would take that as a pleasing offering, that it would be a fragrant sacrifice 
but that you would teach us as a body to do greater things for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.